everybody. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to Ephesians. We're going to look at some verses in Ephesians chapter 3 and chapter 4 this morning. Um, as we're doing that, I'm reminded that uh, Lorenzo will be sitting for his ordination examinations uh, August 31st. So if you guys want to pray for him, uh, that and then he will be ordained, assuming he passes, which I figure he'll pass him, right? Don't you think so? Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, they weren't, that wasn't very convincing. That was like, hmm. But anyway, I'm sure he will pass him, don't you think? Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, on a Tuesday night in DeLand, Florida, he will be ordained along with James uh, McFarland, who was um, pastoring here with us for a while. He has passed his examination, so he'll be ordained. So it'd be cool if a bunch of folks from Hope went to DeLand that night and, you know, made a field trip of it and were there uh, for their ordination. And, and that's, that's really exciting. Um, also, as we are considering um, the sermon this morning, don't forget that uh, on the back side of these connect cards is a place for you to write prayer requests. And we want to encourage you to write in those requests. We have a group of folks who will pray for those on, on Wednesday. All right, so if you come in occasionally, um, it might not seem as though I am at all talking about why we do or do not experience a miraculous, powerful God in our lives. Why some of us don't see healings that happen in our lives and all those kinds of issues. And so I have been, um, over the last few weeks, talking about that, but approaching it um, from the idea that sometimes... We don't experience God in our lives because we haven't learned to trust God. We haven't learned who we are in Him and all that's available to us. I know personally that um, as I have grown spiritually in, in my own life, any experiences that I've had with God that were intense and deep and powerful were rooted not in my seeking them, in fact, never in my seeking them, but rather with him um, just kind of revealing himself. Remember, I said a few weeks ago that the power of God in our lives is a reflection of the grace of God in our lives. That grace and mercy begins at salvation, but it does not stop there. And sometimes, um, because we are creatures of performance, we think that if we act a certain way or behave a certain way, that God will then pour out his power and reveal himself in you and, and in, the, in me and in us. And indeed, I'm not sure that that's the case because the power of God, just like everything else, is an expression of the grace of God being poured out in our lives. One Sunday we, we talked about um, uh, that we don't experience the grace of God because we 
we either equate it to behavior on our part or uh, for many people we equate God to an academic intellectual exercise and we think we have to understand everything and, and we have to be able to explain everything in order to experience God in our lives and that's just not the case if the power of God working in our lives is truly an expression of his grace. So today, um, I want to approach this from a little different perspective. And I want to suggest to you, this is my main idea, that God's power is demonstrated in our unity. That God's power is demonstrated through our unity. And I'm going to make that argument from different perspectives and finally draw it to a close by saying this. It's not about ourselves. It's rather about sacrifice. And when we lay aside ourselves and sacrifice for God's kingdom, that equates to power, and we will see the connection between individual behavior and behavior as the church. So that's where I'm going. You got that? All right, so I love basketball. I played, I used, I played basketball. You guys have heard I've told stories and how many points I've scored and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, when we think of basketball, we tend to think of basketball stars, right? Can you name a basketball star? Michael Jordan comes to mind. Pete Maravich, that's when I was in high school, number 44. His socks were baggy. I grew my hair just like him. Did everything I could to look like Pete Maravich, okay? Practice passes behind my back, between my legs, all that kind of stuff. All right, who are some other stars? LeBron, right? Is he better than Michael Jordan, right? We have all those arguments and discussions, you know. Stephen Curry, yeah, okay. I'm hearing different. Okay, all right. So get, you got Larry Bird. So now we're talking a whole different generation, and we're talking Celtics, and we're talking Knicks, and we're talking a time when basketball was a team sport. And often... When you get into the playoffs for basketball, a team comes in and surprises everybody. They don't really have a whole lot of names on the team and stars, but everybody on the team has a role. And sometimes you can lose a star. For In fact, LeBron James only played like 40 games last year. And yet people talk, why? Because he was resting his body. You know, the superstar. And he didn't have a backup crew necessarily. Okay, well, I'm, I'm doing sports talk now, so let, let me get back to it. Let's think of another illustration that makes the point. Um, Vicki and I took the grandkids for our last meal out with them to Sonny's. I shouldn't name, but anyway, to a barbecue place <laughs> on Route 13 in Mandarin, Florida. And... Uh, and it was on the way home, and, you know, barbecue, everything's cooked, right? It's all ready, ready to go, no problem, no big deal. We sat down, waitress comes, takes our order, 
And 50 minutes later, with three kids, 10, 7, and 3 years of age, we have no food. And you know, I'm a culture observer. I like to watch how things work wherever I am. And, and I've worked in restaurants a lot. And if you've worked in a restaurant, you know there's the back of the house and there's the front of the house, right? The back of the house is the cook staff and all the individuals, the fry chef and the sous chef and the slicing. I don't know, we got, you know, how you do it in barbecue? You got a slice, you got the guy that slices and dices, whatever. But you've got folks that are working in the back then you have the front, the hostess, the waiters and waitresses. You have the manager that floats back and forth. You have a manager in charge of the kitchen and one in, front of the, in, in uh, charge of the front of the house. But if one thing doesn't work, you don't get your food. It's really simple. And that's an environment, environment where there is no room for a superstar. Unless you're in a restaurant where they don't give you any food. It's just little tiny pieces, right? <laughs> The older I get, it's like, I, I want to go to one of those restaurants because I just don't eat as much as I used to. But if one part of that culture of that restaurant doesn't work, and I've observed that some restaurants are kind of going to a model where when an order is up, whoever's available delivers that order, right? Not necessarily your waiter or waitress. Have you seen that happen? Boy, and that gets stuff out there. Or guys in the kitchen... Uh, we, I like to go to brunch house, and I'll, I've noticed that guys in the kitchen and girls bring out orders sometimes, the ones that have cooked it and prepared it. It's just kind of an interesting system of how they work as a team. And when it's working, it's really, really good, and it's powerful. But we live in a star culture. Now, keep that thought, if you would. And let's think about last week and the week before because man it was exciting um, to, to look at the word last week and the week before because we were reminded that we are blessed I'm looking at my notes so I get it right blessed chosen adopted redeemed forgiven included which is a mystery and then sealed and guaranteed by the Spirit of God. We are all of those things. And y'all, last week and the week before, that was exciting. That resonated. Because as individuals, we can claim all of those things. You and I as individuals can say, well, I'm redeemed. I'm chosen. I'm blessed. I am sealed. I am guaranteed by the Spirit of God. But Ephesians chapter 3 is going to suggest that, and remember, all of this is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul is building a case for something that's very, very powerful. Because while we are individuals, we are the church. And the church is a collective thing. A collective idea. And that is where the power comes from. Ephesians 3, let's just look at verse 10. Because the first few verses, first nine verses, 
are kind of a review of, of what we've heard, that we are all of those things because Christ is amongst us and manifests those things in our midst, okay? Individually, we have those things. But let's, let's go to verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. See how that theme is carried through that we've talked about. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now remember that Paul was, before Jesus, was a fervent proponent of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, taught by Gamaliel. He was even commissioned to seek out Christians and to execute them. And yet he describes himself, I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, how it works out, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So we're seeing a shift from the idea of religion to relationship to how that is manifest by God, how it's administered, how it's poured out with God's people. In verse 10, his intent was that now... What's those next three words? Through the church. Not through LeBron. Right? Not through Larry Bird. Not through Pete Maravich. Not through the star. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory and again if you want to individualize our faith then the early church might look at Paul and his sufferings and say, no, 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 no. He's not of God. Because if he was of God, he would be prosperous. If he was of God, he would not be in jail. If he was of God, he wouldn't be in prison. If he was of God, he would not have been beaten near death. And Paul is saying... I suffer, and 2 Corinthians begins this way, I suffer so that you might in my suffering be encouraged, and then you suffer so that you might what? Encourage others. And so we get the picture that's being painted of the power of God being manifested in our suffering as we suffer together, as we support together, as we encourage together. And Paul is saying to them, don't look at me. 
If I have a ministry of the grace of God in your midst, it's because of the power of God working through me because I'm weaker than any of you. But our culture is an individualistic, star-based culture. It grates against the message of the gospel of Jesus. That the lives that we have and the church that we have, the gathering that we have, is only possible because of the power of God. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I'm still in chapter 3. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so in those words you see an individual empowerment in which that empowerment is there that this we might be empowered. So when I'm down and depressed, you might lift me up. Or when you're down and depressed, I might lift you up. If you're sick, flat on your bed. I had, I had somebody this week I visited in the hospital apologize to me for not coming to church. I haven't been to church. I've been sick. Well, that's okay. You're sick. Right? And, and, and we go and visit and minister to people in those times to support them and encourage them. Now, personally, if I'm in the hospital, you know, I, you do not have to visit me in the hospital. It's all right, because I'm not feeling good, and I don't necessarily want to chit-chat if I'm not feeling good, right? Okay, so, so, so if Lorenzo goes to the hospital with me to visit, or Brian went to visit uh, James this week because he had surgery, he went with me, and I say to them, do not stay a long time in the hospital, if you're visiting somebody. Now, you have to understand culture sometimes because uh, Vicki and I went one time to a family's house in our very first ministry. Uh, it was an Armenian family, and we were there with our three children. We had a baby who was newly born. We had, I don't know how old the other kids were, four, five, six years old. We were there at their house for two hours. We had a meal with them. We had a great time visiting with them. And uh, two hours is a long time for me to visit with anybody. That's just how I'm wired. And, and this was in a house. It was an older couple. There were no toys. There was no, no entertainment. There was no screens. There was nothing. No iPhones, no iPads. It was three little dudes and a mom and a dad. And we were there for two hours. I think that's pretty good, don't you? But a week later at church, we got the word that they didn't think that we liked them because we, we left so early. So you have to be sensitive to culture. <laughs> so the first assistant that I got at that church, I assigned him to that couple and have at it. Make sure you stay there at least three hours. But anyway, 
Um, but, you know, we, we, but we often don't go beyond this in order to do that, and we don't see the power, and we don't see the source of that power, which is the mighty, powerful, rich pouring out of God that begins inside of us, and then it works outside. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, let's go there. Because this is where the message of power and unity happens. And Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Do you see, y'all, how the biblical mandates in the scripture are so counter to our culture and society? Our culture doesn't say be humble and gentle. Our culture says demand your rights. And if people don't give you your rights, scream and yell. In other words, we have a three-year-old culture. You know, got a three-year-old grandson? I hate hamburgers. <laughs> right? Three-year-old. I hate root beer. I hate hate you know and if and if you're not necessarily listening he'll get right in your face pop pop i said i hate whatever we have a three-year-old culture that yells and screams and if and if it's not loud enough they'll get right in your face and they'll resort to violence to remind you of the perspective so the, the, the biblical life that God has called us to is counter to our culture. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And by the way, these aren't words to preachers. It keeps talking about the, the life that you've been called to. This is speaking to all of us. All of us are called to this life through the grace of God. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Hence the passage that Lorenzo read earlier. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's that word? Mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So somebody asked me this week, what's the purpose of the church? I, very simply, to make disciples. 
They wanted a whole paragraph to make disciples. What's the purpose of a pastor? To what? Equip God's people. So Christ gave himself, gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It could very well be that, m that my frustration as a pastor, I've tried to implement this everywhere I've gone forever, and it could be that I just don't have the skills and the ability to, to activate something like this in the body of Christ. But I believe that my role is not to be the star, is not to be the lead scorer, but rather to find other individuals who can play on the team and who can score and play together and work and win the ultimate victory of the glory of God in our lives. And Paul, as he expounds on this, he says then, in verse 14, we will no longer be infants, thought bath and back, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. So, I guess it's been over two years now, I broke my Achilles tendon skateboarding. How did that affect the rest of my body? Well, I pretty much couldn't do anything for months and really, to be honest with you, I lost my legs. I just don't have the legs that I, some of you, you keep saying, sure, you're losing weight. Quit losing weight. I'm not doing it on purpose. And I've always had skinny legs. Well, your legs are really skinny now, brother. I know. I know that. But, you know, when one part of the body is not working, it affects how everything else Walks. I mean, you know that you need to go out and walk every day, spend 15 minutes at least in the sunshine to get the vitamin D and K and all that stuff working in your body, but your knee's hurting you, and you can't walk. And so that affects you, right? Because you're not walking, you're eating, you're gaining weight, and the whole thing just, it just kind of mushrooms and develops from there, and you lose your strength. The Word of God here is saying that there is power in unity as contrasted to the world that we live in, which is individualistic. Verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Let's back up, Paul. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. There is nothing more individualistic than sensuality. And so when Paul says, don't live as the Gentiles do, concerned only with their own individual needs, which is futile. Rather, verse 20, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. That's where it starts. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And y'all have heard me, I have taught this verse a hundred times in this church. Saying to you, just to review, that you and I are created in the image of God. That that image is distorted through our sin and selfishness and willfulness. By the way, do you have to teach a child to be selfish right? You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You have to teach them to cooperate. You have to teach them there's great power in brothers and sisters. There's nothing more disturbing than brothers and sisters that fight each other all the time and grow up fighting each other and don't get along, right? It's one of the saddest things that there is, and you all come from families just like that. We're on the phone all the time with brothers and sisters, those of us that still have them. In that way. And so the individualism that we grasp, the individualism that we desire, that we often worship, is contrary to the life, the new self that God has called us to. And while sin and willfulness has distorted that, Ephesians 4 and other places that I've quoted to you many times say that while that image is distorted, that image is being restored by Christ Jesus. It's being healed. It's being brought back. And so the life that Paul has called us to in community is possible because of what Jesus is doing. So he says in verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood, Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, now, now we're talking, and we're going to get into this in more detail in chapter 6, but now we're, in talk, we're talking about power encounter. Because when we demand our way, we give the enemy, remember the song that we sang, that the enemy is underfoot, the enemy is defeated. When we give in to our anger, now that verse, just, I know I've said this to you before, but um, do you remember what I preached a month ago? No? Okay, so let's review. Does that say, do not anger? Well, I've heard Christians say, well, you're angry. 
You shouldn't be angry. No, anger is a natural response to danger. Anger is something that we emotionally experience as humans, but it says, in your anger, what? Do not sin. Do no harm. And do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, keep short accounts with people. Now, some of us take that literally. And when I, when I was married to Vicki, I... <laughs> It's no secret, you know. I would think she was upset with me. I'm still married to Vicky, but what, you know, 46 years. You know, when we were first married is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, yeah, we're still married. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I would think she was upset with me, so I would pester her. What's wrong? She said nothing was wrong. She told me the truth. There was nothing wrong. But I didn't believe her. I thought something was wrong. Are you pointing fingers at him? Okay. And finally, as we got older, she said, you know, I used to make up stuff to, for you to leave me alone so we could go sleep at night. Because I was this former good fundamentalist boy that said, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. If she's mad at me, I'm not letting the sun go down. Well, now notice... I made it her problem, not mine. Right? It's my wrath that I need to deal with. She needs to deal with her own wrath. It's not my job to make her not be angry. And by the way, the older I got, I realized that this really had more to do with my insecurity than it had to do with anything that was going on with her. And I was trying to force the issue. And so, uh, verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Y'all, there's an awful lot there for us. And I want to suggest that if we allow the Spirit of God to transform us, Jesus to restore God's image in us, and if we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God and simply do just these few verses in our lives and not worry about all the power and the demonstrations of power and all the things that we consider miraculous, if we focus on these things instead of those things, then God in His grace will pour out those things. But I want to suggest something else to you because this is... This is, uh, this is a power encounter that's being observed. You see, we don't hear a whole lot about churches getting together and cooperating with each other. And uh, we don't hear a whole lot in the news about, um, boy, that church, those, that, those folks are amazing. And they did this for their community or that. I mean, I know it's there. I read about it. I try to support those kinds of causes. I have gone 
to pastors in the area and try to do stuff together with them with our youth groups. And one guy said to me, why on earth would I want to do anything with you? I said, well, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm nice. I don't know. Um, we might advance God's kingdom working together and cooperating instead of just doing our own little thing. But I want to suggest to you that a church that is unified, empowered by the Spirit of God, will be a testimony. It will be so countercultural that people will have to notice and see it. But that requires that we engage each other beyond this place, beyond the safety and the security of our homes. Um, are you close to people that you don't spend any time with? You know, I mean, I've got 10 grandkids. I can be honest with you. I spend more time with three of them than I do the others. It doesn't mean that I love them more or less, but I spend more time with them. I know more about them. There's a closeness that's there. I have five up in Maine that I really would love to be close to, to spend time with them. I have two south in Daytona that I would really like to be close to and spend more time with them. And can I suggest to you that when we, there's great power when we invest in each other's lives. Now, I know we have limitations as humans. You and I can really only engage about 8 to 10, maybe 12 people intimately in our lives. And that's true for me just as it is for you. And so we have a model of the superstar, and the superstar really has a hard time engaging with anyone except for an isolated few. And so let me encourage all of us to have only one superstar in our lives, and that's Jesus. Can we fix our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith? Can we be like him, as Lorenzo read in chapter 2, who laid aside all his bling? I'm paraphrasing Philippians chapter 2. Laid aside all his bling and became a servant and dwelt among us. And that there is great power when the body of Christ serves each other and serves others. It is so counter to our culture that people have to see that something different is going on. And God is glorified in the midst of that. And so I want to suggest to you this final phrase, which I read earlier, not self, but rather sacrifice, all sacrificing, and that equals the power of God being poured out in our lives. And that opens our lives for the grace of God to be manifested in our lives in a powerful way. It's no longer about us. It's about Him. Let's pray together. Lord,